We love stories. We also love games. That's why June's Journey is so much fun to play. It's a great whodunit, and only you can solve the case. Add in hidden clues, danger, a little romance. You get to figure it out. June's Journey is fun to play any time of day, but especially when I'm in a slump or need a mental pick-me-up. It's hard to put down. Plus, it's free to download. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices, as well as on PC through Facebook games. Quick disclaimer. This week, there are numerous executions played for laughs. It'll make more sense later. It's not super graphic, but I've had people writing in wanting more warning when there's dismemberment. So here you go. Please check out the post on mythpodcast.com, linked in the show notes, for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, it's a story from 1001 Nights, where we'll see how that hot tub might just change your life forever, and that signing your life and soul away to a shifty warlock might actually work out for you. The creature this week is a buff peacock who likes to gossip. This is Myths and Legends, episode 277, Kiss the Cook. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story comes from 1001 Nights, a collection of Middle Eastern folklore. This is a bit of a long one, and we wrapped up the framing narrative with Shaharazad a few weeks back, so we're just going to jump right in with the warlock, who is still waiting on his breakfast at a restaurant. The warlock was happy to be back in the big city. Baghdad, the center of the world. You could find anything here. Like a tear-soaked omelet. Huh. He watched the cook at work, or whatever that was. 20 minutes to make a breakfast because the man needed to stop for cry breaks. The warlock smiled politely. When he received his breakfast from the cook, he poked the soggy meal, and he saw why this place didn't have a wait for brunch. The warlock pushed it back. Hey, so sorry if this was a weird second conversation with the young cook, but the warlock could tell something was bothering him. Did he want to talk about it? The cook wailed. The warlock stood and rubbed the man on the back. Oh, there, there. It's okay. There we go. Let it out, bud. The cook hugged the warlock and sobbed, saying that if the man was serious about wanting to see what was crushing his soul, he should come by around noon. The warlock said he would be back, and left to take in the sights. It was more out of curiosity than anything that brought the warlock back to the restaurant around noon. He was a few minutes late, and the cook let him know it. He was standing at the door, gesturing wildly for the warlock to get inside, now. The warlock shook his head. Uh, This was a bit of an aggressive way to get customers. He was souring on this place by the minute and briefly considered making a Yelp account just to trash it, but then he realized the street the main thoroughfare, was deserted. All the houses, stores, and windows were shut. He listened to the cook and got inside quickly. This is different, the warlock stated as the cook sealed the door behind him. The cook said, yeah, it was the princess. She bathed at noon every day. Does she, like, bathe in the street? Why does everyone have to be inside? The cook said no, she goes to the public baths, but the caliph, her father, 
forbade anyone in the city from seeing his daughter, even fully clothed. The warlock nodded. Oh, it was one of those deals. Got it. The last time he was here, the caliph didn't have kids yet. He always wondered, why not just build a private bath at the palace and avoid shutting down a main thoroughfare every day? It's not like caliphs or sultans were ever strapped for cash. Uh, Cook? The warlock looked around. What good were his clever musings if there wasn't anyone around to hear him? He went upstairs where he saw the cook sitting at the center of mirrors. It was funhouse level in its complexity. The warlock quickly traced the line from the cook's eyes until he saw a mirror angled to catch the street. The cook held his breath until he saw something. And then he collapsed in his chair with a swoon. The warlock nodded. Yep. He thought he understood what was happening here. So, you're in love with the princess, the warlock said, when the cook came to. The youth made a fist and looked off toward the ceiling. Yes, yes, curse his heart. From the moment he spied her in the street, his heart had been hers, but alas, they were not to be. They were star-crossed, mainly because she didn't know he existed, but also mainly because even to look at her was to invite execution, so he would pine, pine and waste away and die in want of love. I'm sorry. The warlock held up a hand, stopping the young man. This was getting a little heavy on the romance stuff, and he found all that pretty insufferable. The warlock would cut right to it. He was a warlock. Did the cook want to be with the princess? The cook grimaced, like the warlock was speaking in a language he couldn't comprehend. Me? Be with the princess? Forsooth. But I am a humble cook, and she is the progeny of the mo- Oh my gosh. Do you want to be with the princess? It is not a difficult question, and the answer is yes. Say yes. The cook nodded. Okay. Yes. Good. Wow. Okay, like I said, I'm a warlock. I can make things happen, but the main question is, what's in it for me? The kid said that he would give the warlock everything he owned, his life, his soul. The warlock blinked. Wow. The kid was quite the negotiator, but... Sure, everything he had and was and ever would be. Deal, all right. The cook looked down. Uh, what was the warlock doing? Wait, was that a shoulder bone? Yes, the warlock said, pulling a shoulder bone out of his pack. (laughs) Don't worry, it's not a human one. He looked through his pack. Yes, this was not the human one. It was from a sheep. All in all, it took a shoulder bone a file of metal, seven needles, some plants, cooked meat, and clay, all wrapped up in a silk blanket. In the cook's creepy mirror spy lair, the warlock set the blanket down, raised his hands, and uttered the arcane verses. Then, he pointed to it. Now, the cook need only knock. The cook approached. Knock? The warlock groaned. Yes, that's the definition of knock. Knock on the sack of random weird things, please. The cook shrugged. Sure, okay. He knelt down and knocked. We knock at the hall doors of earth to summon the djinn. The warlock bellowed. Winds began to kick up in the room, tearing the mirrors away. The cook dodged them a bit until he entered. A genie, tall and shimmering, standing next to a basilisk, a snake monster. They both looked down at the pack at the center of the floor. Warlock? The warlock held up his hands. Up, up, up. He wasn't the one who knocked. Okay, but this is a one-time thing. You know that, right? The genie said. The basilisk, who I can only assume was also a genie, just 
in that form and along for the ride, nodded. Yes, I know. Please, just do the thing. The warlock pointed to the cook. The genie rolled his eyes. Who is this son of a traitor and an enslaved woman who hath summoned us this evening? The cook stood frozen. The warlock gestured with his hands. Well, tell the bean, but like, just get right to it. Don't do all the flowery romantic stuff. The cook swallowed hard and nodded. Yes, well, he was in love with the daughter of the caliph. He desired her love in return. The genie said that, well, they couldn't do that. Uh, he could be specific, though. Did he want to meet her? Want her to be brought to his room that night for, you know? The cook's jaw dropped. Wait, what? She could, they could? I mean, once again, the genie spoke up. We can't make her love you, but if both of you are into it, sure. And let's pretend that this was the level of consent the original was absolutely concerned with. Okay, so we'll bring her bed here at night, and in the morning we'll take it back. No biggie. That's your wish? That's all? The cook scoffed. That's all? That was only the singular cry of his heart. He will be forever indebted to the genie and... Just say yes, the genie said. Oh, okay. Yes, the cook replied. The genie nodded. Cool, cool. All right. Sign here, here, initial here, and we're good. She'll be by at midnight. He looked over the cook. Oh, and also you might want to clean up a bit. You never get a second chance at a first impression. Yes, the princess said, kissing the cook. But you don't know me, the cook said. I am but a lowly cook and you are the daughter of the sovereign of the realm. Mm Mm-hmm, cool. Don't care, the princess said as she unbuttoned his shirt. But, but our destinies hath conspired. Are you a genie or a demon? The princess interrupted. The cook said, no, he was a cook. And a good-looking man my age, who's offering a night of no-strings-attached time together, the princess said. She explained that she had seen men, mostly eunuchs and her dad, and that was pretty much an exhaustive list. She had the same kind of desires he did, she found him attractive, and he seemed like a good guy. He needed to get out of his own way here. The cook nodded, and he did. Get out of his own way, that is. We'll slowly drift up to the cook's curtains, the ones that he bought just that afternoon to class up his room a bit, gently blowing in the wind. So, noticed you were showing, the caliph said to his daughter, the princess, as he walked out on her balcony. The princess looked down, Oh, yeah, she was pregnant. Eager to know how that happened, the caliph stood wide-eyed. He couldn't believe what he was hearing here. Well, pretty much how it usually happens, the princess retorted. You know, I could have you executed for that. I'm a medieval monarch. I can have basically anyone executed for any reason, the caliph said, and then slammed his fist down on the table. Yeah, but you won't, the princess said with a smile and left the room. I hate how right she is, the caliph said to his vizier when he was back in his own chambers. 
Still, we have to know who the father is, so I can have him executed. The caliph narrowed his eyes. The vizier shook his head. He didn't like how the princess, a young woman, was defying his caliph. Wasn't right. Well, just wait till you have kids. You'll see, the caliph said. Still, they needed to figure this out. The vizier said he might have a solution. There had been whispers among the staff that something strange was happening in the princess's room after dark. Hey, so notice that there was an ocean between my restaurant and the city, the cook said to the warlock a few mornings later. The warlock nodded. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Well, I need the restaurant open to, you know, make a living, the cook said. He had a hard enough time getting people to his greasy spoon without them having to take a ferry. Yeah, no, I get that, the warlock replied, gulping down the last bit of breakfast. But a slightly more important part of you living is you not being executed by the caliph. So the ocean took precedent. Wait, what? The cook asked. Yep, we've been made. The caliph is out for your head. He sipped at his tea. The caliph's servants put a sack of grain with the hole in it under the princess's bed, the one that she rode to see the cook, and the line of grain led them straight to the restaurant. Had to make an ocean between us and them to have any time to explain the plan. The cook took a seat and started hyperventilating. Verily none are so cursed in matters of the heart to be hunted by the sire of thine own love. You, you done with that? The warlock asked the cook, because he did have a plan, like he said. He explained the plan as somewhere, about a league away, the caliphate's navy was having a difficult time with that ocean that had somehow popped up in the middle of Baghdad. The warlock watched through a looking glass as the caliph ordered what was left of the ship's back. He shook his fist at the far-off restaurant, screamed a few curses neither of them could hear, and then boarded his litter to be taken back home. The warlock closed up the looking glass. All right, time to go. We'll see the warlock's plan come to fruition, but that will be right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Back at the palace, the caliph was as confused as he was enraged. It was the weirdest thing. He went to the address of the cook. Next door, normal house. The address was an ocean stretching on for miles. House after that, normal. He went to the next street over, completely normal, except when you looked at the back of the restaurant and then there was the ocean. As he entered his throne room, he knew the cook couldn't evade him forever. The waters were choppy and dangerous, but he would spare no expense to find and kill the cook and, hi, the cook said, smiling awkwardly. The caliph looked at him, and the older bearded gentleman standing next to him said, what's up? Who was this kid and 
how did he get in here? The cook said he was the cook from the restaurant that was now, I don't know, beachfront property, he guessed. He didn't understand how that worked. Oh, the guards were tackling him. The story says that the warlock was there, but also doesn't have him being apprehended. Let's say that the guards went right through him because he was a warlock. They still managed to get the kid, though. You are the father of my daughter's child, the caliph demanded. The kid nodded. Yep, the caliph shook his head. Unbelievable. Well, the cook wouldn't be around to see it. The caliph pointed to his guards. Get the bad carpet. And they did have a carpet they used when they had to do indoor executions. My guess is that it had been a gift to the caliph, that he let go past the return date, and it really just clashed with everything in the room, so he just decided to use it to absorb blood from state-sanctioned indoor murders. Any last words? The caliph sneered. Just kidding. The kid didn't get to say anything. Kill him. The headsman raised the axe. The cook winced, and a head rolled. The cook opened his eyes. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I am so sorry, the headsman said to the caliph. He had accidentally beheaded one of their guards. Okay, in his defense, he was always telling them to back up. He needed a lot of wind-up or else it wouldn't go all the way through with the first try. Oh, no, no, no. The headsman barely even felt it take the man's head off. The caliph grimaced, wow, just right off like that. Okay, uh, kind of took the fun out of the execution, but oh, okay, okay, it's okay, it's okay. Try again. The headsman nodded. He hefted the axe back up over his shoulder. Absolutely. Won't let you down, boss. But he already did. When he brought the axe up to his shoulder, he, again, accidentally, ha, found the neck of one of his co-workers, one of the many guards in the room, and instantly beheaded him. It was chaos. The headsman said he had no idea how that kept happening. Oh my gosh, he was so fired, wasn't he? His one talent was killing people who couldn't fight back. How was he going to find a job after this? Also, how sharp is this blade, he said, swinging it around to inspect it. He didn't hurt one of his co-workers this time. They had backed away to the edge of the room. But the headsman himself slipped, fell, and became his own last victim. The grown men in the room were screaming and holding each other at that point. All but the warlock and the cook. They both waited for the room to settle down. So, the warlock said, trying to get control of the situation, that was just a small sampling of my power. The caliph sat stunned. Wait, the warlock had done all of that? The warlock nodded. Further, he was determined to see this kid successful in his endeavor to marry the woman he loved, the princess. The caliph was about to laugh out loud but the warlock held up his hands. Now, before the caliph gave his answer, the answer's no, by the way, the caliph blurted in, before you give your answer, wanna see some magic tricks? The story says Allah taught me occult knowledge, so all this is above board. The caliph thought about it. Answer was still no on the marriage thing, but he did wanna see some close-up magic. Preferably no beheadings, though. He was good for... Like a week, week and a half on those. The warlock nodded. Deal. No more beheadings. Maybe a hanging, but no more beheadings. Cool, all right. As the guards dragged the bodies from the room and started mopping, the warlock pointed a thumb over his shoulder to the two stone lions who sat by the door. Did the caliph ever want to see those two things fight? The caliph said he did now. The warlock smirked and snapped his fingers. 
instantly, the stone lions came to life and went for each other's throats. The whole room stood in amazement as the two marble monsters swiped at each other, tumbled, and lunged. The warlock snapped his fingers again, and the lions began to shrink. Shrink until they were house cats, then kittens. Their battle went from bloodthirsty to playful, and they tumbled out of the room. The caliph clapped. Wow, that was amazing. Again, another. The warlock agreed. Absolutely. He pointed to the vizier. You. Go get a cauldron of water. The vizier straightened with a sneer. He didn't take orders from some wandering charlatan. Go get the cauldron. I want to see more magic. The caliph barked. The vizier's shoulders slumped. Okay. A few minutes later, the vizier returned with a cauldron of water. Who wants to see me turn this man into a mermaid? The warlock said of the vizier. Everyone cheered. Everyone except for the vizier, who said, wait, what? Come on, vizier, get in there, be a mermaid, the caliph said. The vizier said he didn't know about this. The caliph started up a cheer. Mermaid, mermaid, mermaid. The rest of the room joined in. Mermaid, 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 or I'll have you executed, the caliph added on. The vizier nodded. He understood that loud and clear. He turned to the warlock, just get in. The warlock shrugged. Yep, just step in. The vizier took a deep breath. All right, next stop, mermaid. He sat on the edge of the cauldron and leapt in. There was a splash of water and the vizier gasped. She was underwater, a mermaid. She had the strangest dream. What is it, sister? Another mermaid swam by. The vizier, the mermaid, said she had this weird dream that she was the advisor to the human caliph. She had who's its and what's its galore walking up there on those, what do you call them? Feet. Humans call them feet, the other mermaid said. Right, 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 the vizier said. Her word finding was off today. Maybe she should go for a swim to clear her head. The vizier, and I'm just going to call her that, the story makes it clear that they're the same person and saying the mermaid isn't specific enough. The vizier and her sisters flippered up to the surface and burst through the water. There, off the coast, they saw a fisherman. The vizier mermaid remembered her dream. The humans, it had been so real, so vivid. It felt like she had a whole life on the surface. She shuddered, remembering herself as a sad, angry man. It was probably her dream, but she felt drawn to the human on the shore. She told her sisters that she'll be right back. When her fish tail touched the sands of the shore, it began to turn to legs, human legs. Soon, she rose and waved hello. The fisherman offered her a cloak, and she sat down next to him. The pair talked about the weather, and the vizier mermaid told him where to find the best fish. They sat there most of the day, until it was time for him to go. When the fisherman stood... Net full of fish slung over his back? He asked the vizier mermaid, Hey, did she want to meet someone? They were married almost as quickly as they had fallen in love. The fisherman's son and the vizier mermaid. She swam out to tell her sisters of their love, and they were so happy for her. She and her husband lived with their in-laws until their first child. Then 
The vizier mermaid and her husband decided that they needed a place of their own. They found a small cottage by the seaside, filled it with children, and they were happy. We'll finish up today's story, but that will, once again, be right after this. Fifteen years later, the vizier mermaid kissed her husband and took the toddler into her arms. He arched his eyebrows. It was that time already. He's half mermaid. Merperson? The vizier mermaid said. The kid was overdue for his first swim. Even with seven of them, I will never get used to it. The fisherman's son laughed. <laughs> well, shouldn't have married a mermaid then. The vizier winked. Her husband shook his head. He wouldn't change a thing. The mermaid vizier walked her son out into the water, where she couldn't touch, then floated up. Her legs merged, becoming a fin. She held her baby close and let him go. There was always a moment of panic with the little ones, but it was easier than taking them when they got older. The panic quickly subsided, and the water became like air to them. Their flippers formed, and they could swim. That's what happened to her son, her seventh child. As she watched him, she thought about her life here. It had been glorious. Like, like a dream. As soon as she thought that, she coughed. She took a deep breath and started choking. She started flailing. She, she couldn't breathe. She watched her mer-son floating there, a look of confusion on his face. The mermaid vizier had to get to the surface. She couldn't breathe. She couldn't. Their head broke the surface of the water. Mermaid, mermaid, mermaid. The vizier looked around. What, what was going on? Where was their baby? Th their cottage? Their husband? Get him up. Let's get a look at those flippers, the caliph said. There was a disappointed aww in the room when they realized the vizier had legs. The caliph turned to the warlock. What was he trying to pull here? The vizier wasn't a mermaid. The warlock turned to the vizier. Are you a mermaid? Yes, the vizier replied. They looked around the room. What, what year was it? How did everyone look the same? They had been in there 15 years. More like 15 seconds, the caliph scoffed. Then he studied his vizier. His advisor really thought that he was a mermaid. I am a mermaid, they said. W was that real? They turned to the warlock. Is this? The warlock said. I need to go find my kids and my husband, the vizier said, dashing from the room. Aw, oh, me next, the caliph shouted, starting to strip down. That really upended his advisor's sense of self. Something really rattled him. The caliph wanted in. Let's do it. Soon, the caliph was on the edge of the pot. One, two, three, journey of self-discovery. He splashed into the cauldron. And woke up on a beach, caked in sand. Kids were poking him with sticks. I am your caliph, the man barked, standing. He looked down. Nope. No, he wasn't. He was a man dressed in rags. This was different. You've been in a shipwreck, 
Probably, a fisherman said as he paddled by. You were passed out when I got here before dawn. Kids have been poking you. We all thought you were dead. Well, how far is Baghdad from here? I need to get home to execute a cook and a warlock, the shipwrecked man said. Well, that's definitely something someone without head trauma would say. Uh, Also, you're on the coast of Oman. Baghdad is like 1,700 miles, about 2,700 kilometers from here. Oman? More like, oh, man, that's bad news, the shipwrecked caliph said, patting his pockets down and realizing he wasn't carrying his standard way too much gold around on him. The fisherman groaned at the pun and continued on his way. The caliph wandered into the city where people watched him stagger through the streets in rags, no one quite believing him that he was the caliph. They might have given him money for something to eat if he wasn't so mean about it. He was so hungry that he didn't even realize he was making people super uncomfortable when he was watching a cook serve people food in his restaurant. The cook, once again, we're not in Baghdad, so this is not our main cook, but a different cook. Different cities have different cooks. The cook looked at the man eyeing his dishes. Hey, did the stranger need something to eat? The cook was the first person to show him kindness, and the caliph licked three plates clean, thanking the man. The man accepted no thanks for doing what was right. The cook said it was kind of clear that the man, the shipwrecked caliph, had fallen on hard times. Did the caliph need a job? And that was how the caliph became a cook's servant. He wasn't thrilled with this turn of events, but he also wasn't starving anymore, so he decided to be grateful. Time passed. Weeks. Then years. He held on to the fact that he was a caliph, but everything about his life now told him that that was ridiculous. Still, he persisted. One morning, he heard some rich merchants talking about how their servants went diving off the coast, and they came back with gemstones. The merchants were going to be rich. They produced a beautiful blue gem, and the caliph stepped from behind the counter. Did they want him to sell that for them? The three merchants looked to the caliph. The caliph smiled. He knew a guy. He had been to Oman once during his travels in his youth and had been to that auction house. He didn't really know a guy. As caliph, he hadn't troubled himself with trivial things like people's names, but he did know enough to bluff his way through the door, which was exactly what he did. And the gemstone fetched an enormous price. He had worked out a commission with the merchants in the restaurant, but this was beyond even the shipwrecked caliph's wildest expectations. He went back to the restaurant to tell them the good news, but they were gone. The cook said that they would be back in a week. The caliph said a a week, but they couldn't trust the auction house to hold the money for a week. The caliph shook his head, no, no, this wouldn't do. They would lose the sale. He would go. Besides, he had brought the gemstone. He could collect the money. It's what he would have done as caliph. And the world surely had the same rules for the rich and powerful as it did for everyone else. He would be right back. You found this gemstone. The man at the auction house said with a sneer. The caliph nodded. Yep, he did. Can he have his enormous wad of cash, please? Wait, 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 wait. This guy brought in the gemstone that I just bought, they heard from the back. Both men looked behind to the auction that had just wrapped up and the buyer looking at the piece like he had a bad taste in his mouth. The caliph grinned and nodded. Yep, that was him. What's, what's everybody? Why is everybody looking like that? 
The buyer set the gemstone down. He looked to the proprietor of the auction house. And the auction house has verified that this gem is legitimate. The proprietor nodded, of course, and then he looked back. He snatched it up. Couldn't hurt to do another check, though. He held it to the light. Oh. Oh, no. The proprietor set it down and pointed to the shipwrecked caliph. Guards. The caliph was confused. What was going on? He felt the guards seize him by the arms. The proprietor shook his head. This man had brought in a counterfeit piece. The guards growled and began dragging the caliph away. He would hang for this. The caliph said, hang? Counterfeit? What? What was going on? They verified it earlier. It was only because he looked like he was down on his luck. He was a cook's servant, and they were having him executed because they believed the worst out of their own prejudices. And, oh, he got it now. Ah, rats. Life lessons. The trial was quick. The shipwrecked caliph had no way of defending himself, despite his complete innocence. The gemstone was quietly sold to the same buyer, this time without the caliph or the merchants getting their cut, and the caliph was scheduled to be hanged in three days' time. Led up to the gallows, the caliph made about three different attempts to break free and run for his life, but he was bound and dragged. The chains around his neck caught his tears as he said he would be different. The warlock guy, if you're out there, I'll, I'll be different. The guards kicked him off the platform. The chains tightened, and the caliph couldn't breathe. Yeah, he's suffocating. Get him out, the caliph heard. A half dozen men pulled him from the cauldron, and he vomited a mouthful of water. He looked around. It had been... It had been years. He breathed. He was back. All right. Oh my goodness. Yes, he was rich again. The caliph turned to the cook, the one who had been with his daughter. He said he should not have assumed the worst about the boy, just based on his position in life. His daughter was obviously very happy with the cook, and he winced. If his daughter chose, she could marry the cook. The warlock cleared his throat. <clears> throat> the caliph winced again, and he also wouldn't have the cook executed. The cook breathed and thanked the warlock, who I guess by proxy would rule the entirety of the caliphate someday. The cook and the princess wed, and the entirety of the caliphate was better for the person in charge having experienced a bit of what a lot of them went through every day. I like this one because it seemed like what would happen if you combined Aladdin with Rick and Morty. That warlock was just so completely above everything and in control of every situation, throwing the most powerful people in the caliphate in two years of completely different lives just as like a magic trick. By the way, everything about the vizier's journey was from the original, up until their reaction to it. The original was fairly misogynistic, and my additions changed very little. I detailed it a bit more in the show notes. If you're looking for something else to listen to, there's a new episode of Scoundrel Out this week, where we discover that one of the most prolific counterfeiters in U.S. history was also one of the worst. 
but not in the way he would have wanted to be the worst. He was legitimately terrible. He spelled Washington's name wrong. Check out Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains, by following the link in the show notes or by searching for Scoundrel wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is the murgi e adam from Islamic folklore. Now, if you see two muscly peacocks with human faces talking in the wilderness, you're probably going to want to listen. And that's not only because there are two jacked peacocks actually talking out there in the wilderness. Said to have been born in paradise, like Adam, they were also exiled. Not sure how that happened. Regardless, they have just been hanging around down here for like thousands of years, gossiping. Like I said, you're going to want to listen to the stuff that the buff peacocks with human faces talk about, because their words are apparently very interesting to the listener personally. Now, I don't know what level of interesting talk. Like, do they mean interesting yet trivial? Like TV show spoilers or game release dates, you know, like blog spam? Do they mean interesting but kind of bad for you, like Twitter? Or are they ominous portents regarding your own future? The one example I found was that, apparently, Alexander the Great heard the flexing fowls talk about how he shouldn't keep going east, which, considering he died shortly after, he probably should have listened. They even spoke a language he understood, too, so he had no excuse. Anyway, if you find two gossipy peacocks in the wilderness pumping iron and talking about your life, I guess you should take their advice. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hold up. 